0: Today's guest has over 25 years' experience building software and leading engineering teams. He's worked at companies large and small, startups and enterprise. He's currently an engineering leader at Under Armour. Today, we explore the relationship between organizations and their engineering teams based off of the flavor and the stage of that org. We learn about keeping engineers happy and how that just makes everything better. We learn one of the best tech debt strategies I've heard ever, and we discuss build versus buy in the land of software platforms. We've been working with Under Armour since 2006. It's been amazing to witness the growth and change as an organization overall, but also its relationship with software and engineering teams and how that's evolved. I'm very pleased to welcome Kareem Shahadi. Welcome to Evolving Industry, a no BS podcast about business leaders who are successfully weaving technology into their company's DNA to forge a better path forward. If you're looking to actually move the ball forward, rather than spinning around in a tornado of buzzwords, you're in the right place. I'm your host, George Jakoszynski. Dream, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. You've had the pleasure of being at some very different types of organizations. And even at the organizations that you've been at, they've had quite a bit of evolution. And so one of the topics I wanted to explore with you are what were the different kind of flavors of organizations you stepped into? And let's maybe start with some of the differences and and pull the thread from there.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. I yeah, I mean the, the differences in the organizations, I you know, I really I went from a large organization, I mean, I've had several uh, jobs before my my current one, but the even within my current job at Under Armour, I think one of the things that has been interesting is the evolution of the digital organization within the company. But I've also worked at startups and their approach to how to push productivity, how to focus on quality, how to organize projects, all of that is very, very different. So it's been really interesting to me to go from one to the other and sort of like see the advantages, disadvantages of each.
0: So let's talk about what is it like when you go from a, from an extremely engineering leading organization into one that's maybe hardcore, you know, project management leading? What, what's that like?
1: Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is that when you start thinking about organizations and the people in those organizations, not in terms of their positions, but in terms of the roles they fill, I think you start to see some patterns emerge. So, so one of the things that was interesting when I was at a startup, we had this notion of no product project management. I mean, there there were literally no project managers, and that's very different from the company I'm at now, um, which has a lot of project managers, and they're very focused on on that sort of cross team organization. But what happened at the startup was it's not that project management went away um, as a need. It just sort of fell to other people. And so cross-team communication, organization, messaging, sort of like retrospective type things, all of that fell to the engineering manager and product manager. And because it wasn't super well-defined as to what that role encompassed, sometimes you, you had a variety of success, right? So if it happened to be an engineering manager or a product manager who understood the value of that. They spent time on it and focused on it. And those who didn't, didn't. And so you had poor communication. And so the same can happen even when you do have a project manager, if they don't, if they're not great at what they do. Um, But at least in that circumstance, it's a very well-defined role. And I think that's what having a position gives you is you're forced to think of that role, whereas it can
0: disappear if you don't have it. Interesting. You know, people are people, regardless of their role, right? And you're going to have, and then there's the culture. And maybe you have a culture where where people are more inclined to call the ball while it's in the air and catch it, and just you grab whatever they're going to grab, regardless of the role. And and sometimes even if they explicitly have that title, they might not really live up to it. You know, I'm curious if if you've seen any frameworks or common language around that. I mean, like I'm always a fan of races. I, I find that people find that that's a little old school, but you know, whatever you call it, I feel like if you just throw down a laundry list of here's all the stuff that needs to get done. I don't care what the heck we call it. You know, someone's got to grab each one of these. Have you have you found any frameworks or anything that work for you? So I'm not
1: super knowledgeable about the uh, other options, like uh, other than Racy, but Racy is what we have used at Under Armour uh, pretty extensively. Um, and when it is applied, it's actually really, really helpful. And the reason why, from an engineering perspective, from a digital perspective is if you're being asked to be accountable to something then you have to have the ability to make your decisions so i guess what i'm saying is like if someone says you are accountable to this software product in other words you have to make sure that it has fewer bugs that it works you know it works well it has high uptime all that if you're saying if if a leader comes to you and says you're accountable for this then you have to have the power. You need to be empowered in order to make significant decisions about where that's going to go. So, for example, a very specific example is, like, if you're being asked to say, like, okay, for this web application, um, we need to keep the number of regressions down to, you know, like, some small percentage, some five, let's say we're actually measuring it, and it's down to, like, 5% or whatever. Well, then then you as a leader and who's accountable, If you know that you're accountable, then you can say, okay, well, if you want that, the two things have to happen. One, we have to slow down. We have to reduce the amount of new features that are going into this. And, or we have to automate significantly the the testing, right? So that's a decision where you're like, okay, if you're saying, you know, if you're saying I'm accountable and you're saying we have to increase our velocity and we have to improve our quality (laughs) in order to keep all of those things in check, I need to be empowered to tell you this is what we're gonna need in order to accomplish that. And as a leader, if you're, you know, like red flags should start going up. If you start being asked for accountability, and then when you start to ask for things in order to support that, you have to say, I can't make that happen. So I can't be accountable, or you have to reduce, you know, like whatever it is that you're asking me to do.
0: Evolving Industries brought to you by Intepi. We bring order to chaos, wherever people, process, and technology converge. Our culture drives our solutions, and we are solution-obsessed. We see every challenge as an opportunity, every partner as a collaborator, and every project as a chance to share our values and commitment to excellence. Give us a shout. We'd love to hear your challenges and turn them into opportunities. Find out more at Antevity.com. Now, back to the show.
1: And that's, that's what the RACI can help with. They can help make sure that, like, all right, well, if you're informed, you obviously have the best intentions and you want to make sure that this project and, and you're, or you you know, you're, you know, you're advising on, on, on this, like, yes, you're an advisor. And ultimately you're not accountable to the success. You want it to be as successful as possible, but like, it's not that like, you know, that career type of like lock-in you're just like, I'm, I'm going to help you. And that's really good to know when you're setting up any kind of project or any kind of long-term project, even if it's, even if it's a product that you're going to support, you know, in perpetuity. It's amazing.
0: You can never just get away from clear expectations, accountability, and empowerment. You know, it's pretty basic stuff, but I I feel we get, we get kind of spun around titles and not just the titles themselves, but maybe the baggage that different people have and the overload phrases and all that. I mean, I'm half tempted sometimes when we do kickoffs, just to blank canvas, everything, just get rid of all of those like words and the labels and just write down the stuff that needs to get done on I don't know. I was actually thinking this idea lately for a workshop for kickoffs is just literally write it down on on balls and just start throwing them out into the room. Yeah. You know, like who's <laughs> yeah. going to gonna catch this one, right? Because someone will be like, all right, you're the project manager. Okay, what does that mean? You manage the project. Okay, yeah, but what does that actually mean in, in real life, you know? I'm curious, what have you seen, because none of these models are, are inherently good or bad, right? Like, because I've even seen, sometimes you see an organization that's hard, where the, the user experience team are the the gods of the team. There's others where the program and project managers are, and there's other times where the engineers are. How do you figure out for your team, you know, on the stage at which your team is at, what the right model is for you?
1: Yeah. And I think what makes it even more complicated is that it's a moving target. So as the team, as attrition happens and as people come in and replace, like their focus no longer is the same and you suddenly find yourself in a different situation. So I think the first thing I would say is like you need to have a you need to set yourself up and your team set up so that you're constantly re-reviewing where you sit in the organization to better understand how to apply your thoughts on it. I was just actually listening to a, a podcast about kaizen, which I had never really heard about. But the, anyway, the idea is that you sort of meet periodically, and and it's it's a way of applying good work to you know to perpetual improvement. And I think that really applies here because when you are trying to figure out whether or not to you know like where you fall in the organization, like right now when I was at the startup, I was at Mapbox, and that startup is it was an it was an amazing engineering organization. Like they had. I don't know, 250 engineers. It was a 450 person company at the time and just brilliant people. Um, And it was very engineering driven. And there was really no question about where engineering sort of sat in the organization. The product we produced was software. When you're at a company like Under Armour, the product is no longer the software. The product is um, physical product that's being produced, but also a brand. So like an idea is part of the product. That's a completely different thing, and and the place of technology in there is not set in stone. So it shifts over time. So how do you like uh, see where you sit? And you know w- what I've come to realize is that like in an organization like Under Armour, we lead with technology for sure. Technology is an important part of everything that we do. But at the same time, ultimately, you have to keep in mind that. How you achieve that technolo- technological supremacy is going to is going to change over time because if you're if you need to push product more if you need to push brand more that's always going to take precedence over technology. Now you might use technology in order to achieve that and and that's like where opinions sort of like come and go. So some people might have the opinion that in order to improve our brand we want to improve the applications that we use in order to buy the product. Like th- that's where they want to focus and and with with those people come investments. So they're like, okay, let's invest here more into in the technology group. But I think what I what I realize at Under Armour is that it, it's going to fluctuate. And so when you think about like the decisions that you make as an engineering leader is like, okay, I, I want to make sure that I have some pr- consistency in the output that we produce. So I'm not going to make any assumptions about the number of engineers I'm going to have. Like at Mapbox, I would say like, engineer, like you can't produce this product without a stable set of engineers that are at a certain level. At Under Armour, like you need to think more about the product that you're producing, and then making sure that you reach some foundation where it can be maintained with a with a flexible set of engineers who are applying their you know their their expertise on it. Sometimes you're going to have people who are not even more junior, and sometimes you're going to have people who are more senior, and sometimes you're not going to have anyone at all. So, can it stand the test of time in that in that sort of fluctuating marketplace? So when I think about Under Armour, like I really, I set myself up for making decisions based on that. And so when we think about, you know, just going back to, to project management, that fluctuates as well. It fluctuates as well because it's, well, for a lot of reasons, but for us, it fluctuates uh, because the type of project manager you're you're going to be, that's going to be working on your product might have a different background. So like they may not have a super technologically strong background. So how do you sort of work it into your whole process? And that's where we sort of fall back on, in my opinion, like CICD and automation, even though it's very important on in, in any organization, it's really, really important in an organization that, that doesn't have you know, the predictability necessarily of like what six months from now your organization is going to look like. But you better be sure that the thing that your organization is built on top of in technology is able to hum. Right, and it, it needs to be able to you know like easy deployments, easy onboarding, easy like all of that stuff needs to happen relatively easily. We're not we're not breaking like in the technology space. We're we're, we're not you know like innovating in terms of new computer science you know models. We're not like thinking in terms of new paradigms of how to compute. Like we're using you know well established methodologies for getting software out and delivering it in a really fast way and that's where our focus needs to be. So at Under Armour that's different. Mapbox the focus was like we need to develop the best possible ag- algorithm for navigating from point A to point B. Like how do we make sure we do that in a way that's better even than Google Maps. That is a completely different problem, right? And so that's what's always interesting to me is you, you can't apply the same sort of approaches. There's certain things that are always true but understanding where where you sit in the organization uh, where you sit in You know the marketplace is really 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 important as a engineering leader
0: that makes sense yeah to make sure you're not over investing in building software when that's not your core business you know you talked a little bit about innovation there i feel like some people just get hung up and i've I've seen some engineers and even myself when i was earlier in my career i got hung up on this that i wanted to only be doing the crazy innovative you know forward leaning whatever whatever software it could be but then i found that i could get just as excited about because when you're doing something new at an organization or new within an industry, you know, it might not be innovative, you know, as a whole out there, but the fact that it is innovative for that industry and that client, that gets exciting to me just as much. And I've, I found engineering teams, if you can connect them enough with the brand and the mission, I don't know if you've seen it as well, but you know, did they get just excited about it? Do you see that?
1: Absolutely. I, I went through the same sort of path that you did. Like I, I felt the same way. I felt like I needed to do. I needed to work at Google. You know, like now, like there's ChatGPT. Like they're they're breaking ground on areas that were previously unbroken. And, but there's lots of like little niches um, where there's a lot of interest. Like right now, at Under Armour, we recently released a completely redone website that goes uh, significantly faster, like five or six times faster, and. That was a challenge for us, right? Like we're not using new technology; it's all based on open source technology, but it's modern, and it's and it was really interesting to learn how to do that. And I think the team that's working on it was super duper engaged. They understand that we're using, but we're applying it in a way that is not all that you know, like n- not that commonplace. Like we are working on in this particular area, we are on the on on the edge of where the technology is. And I think that 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 really helps pe- motivate people. And then even outside of the technology, like even like CICD, like I would love to be able to say, because it's such an important part of the whole process, but I'd love to be able to say at the end of the day, that like, yeah, we can get out a release in, in under you know 10 minutes. That's a real like, yes, you know, Facebook is releasing thousands of releases a day. They have an army of engineers, but it's a different problem set when you have like just a few engineers in a company that's not techn- you know like that's not based entirely around technology to be able to do that is is quite an accomplishment and a different one. that's
0: great because i feel like there's this misconception that engineering teams they don't like to have a lot of change right let's not change the way they're organized let's not you know let's get them in a in their flow state and let them just kind of groove through the work that they have but uh, my experience, and I'm curious to hear yours. Is they love change. You just need to have those right foundational things in place that you know that not everything's going to break and fall apart and turn to, to mayhem when it's changing. Has, has that been your experience? And I've also love to hear how do you get the team to rally around that type of, and like big change, right? The way that you're organizing your teams, the way that you're attacking things, maybe going vertically or horizontally. I'd love to hear your perspective there. Yeah, I
1: think that there's this cognitive load that happens, like this very unpleasant thing that happens over time. When, especially, it's true for legacy software. Um, if you didn't have a hand in building it, um, and you don't have, you're not empowered to improve it. Um, what you have is the situation where the the engineer is not fulfilled, right? Like, because they they're not able to explore their creativity, their skill set, their expertise, because they have to be nervous about every single thing that goes out, because it's a relatively good chance it's going to break something and they're going to be held accountable for it. And that's where the accountability comes back in. It's like, look, if you want me to work on this thing, you need to help. You need to let me have some space in order to improve it. So I don't feel terrified every time I, I release it. That foundational, that technical debt, that's where, you know, like understanding where the technical debt, like how far you go in terms of like what you fix with technical debt, it really comes down to like, I want to fix it enough so that I don't feel terrified every time I push a release like I think that should be that should be the, the, the rule of thumb and and if you don't have that then you you sort of like you need to revisit you need to take 20 thirty percent of whatever resources you have and just say like they're focused on making sure that we have a stable environment. And then the engineers. I mean, that unlocks. It's not just their happiness, because I'm very much about the happiness of the engineer, because I think that unlocks a bunch of other things. The engineers are happy. They're more creative. They're more productive. They're. It just create a, It creates an amazing culture. And and how do you get happiness? It, I mean, obviously everyone's a little different, but ultimately it's about feeling you know valued and impactful. If they can't get anything out, or it's it's such a struggle to get anything out, then they're not going to be happy you know and they and they're not and they're not going to be impactful not going to be productive productive and so like what you need to fix that quickly if that continues you you'll never get anywhere you'll you'll reach some plateau and and you'll just never it will go down every once in a while but you'll never you'll never soar so it's really really important
0: yeah people just start checking out at that point i'm going to steal that from you though like the the tech debt strategy because everyone's trying to figure out how are we going to attack this attack the technical debt it's like well we're going to remove the horror and the and the fear from the organization as we attack this i love that
1: i was just going to say it comes down to predictability so like people want predictability they want to be able to say the next thing i'm going to do is going to happen in 2 weeks um if you can't give that than what, uh, you know, engineers are being asked all the time, when are you going to get done? When are you going to get done? They're like terrified because they're like, well, uh, I mean, if if everything goes fine, you know, two weeks, but in their head, they're thinking like, I'm pretty sure nothing's going to go well here. And so I'm just going to bump it up another two weeks because who knows? And so what that's what you get is from the business perspective, like trust your engineers. Like if they're nervous about releasing it, it's because they have good reason to be. And so they're either going to tell you, like, if you're going to force me to give you a number here, I will, I'm going to have to give you like a month or two months because I know that there's instability here. That's, that's where it starts impacting the business. And that's where they need to start thinking about, hey,
0: like, listen to your engineers about this for a little bit. And that's how you end up with like a two year backlog that doesn't really get chipped away at any given point. Yeah, in, in uh, pulling the thread on the the developer and the engineer happiness early in my career, we we're just building a lot of stuff bespoke because the platforms weren't really where they are today. And now we're at a point that there's there's the platforms aren't only quote unquote mature, but there's just a lot of there's a lot of pressure from executives. There's a lot of pressure from sales teams, you know. And there's you know I think sometimes platforms are, I love them in the right place. I find that sometimes they're used incorrectly, and engineering teams can get you know, disenfranchised in those, those environments. But I'm curious from, you know, the various places that that you've been, how do you navigate that, you know, build versus buy, and how do you keep your engineering teams happy within that ecosystem of platforms that are all around you?
1: Well, I think the key is obviously you have to make the right decisions about the products you buy, but then once you, once you buy them, you need to use them as they were intended to be used. So, the, the, the there, there's a lot of some companies, they will buy a product and then they'll be like, well, now you need to customize, it. you know, like um, so they'll work with these companies and they'll say, well, we need this one feature. And they're like, depending on the size of the company, if it's either either a huge one, they'll say, no, this is how you can figure it out yourself. Or if it's a small one, and this is worse. They'll make changes to the product because they're scrappy and they need they need revenue. That is like, that's the worst possible thing, even though it sounds like it sounds good because now you now they've created a very customized thing for you that they're not gonna be able to support. And you're gonna get mad, they're gonna get mad, and then no- nothing good will come of it. So I think the key is to make sure that when you make the decision about the product to buy, first of all, is that it has the features that you want as is. So like, if they're saying things like, well, we're planning on that in six months, like. Absolutely not. Like no guarantee of that happening whatsoever. And so, you know, like that needs to either make it off the list of, of requirements or um, you know, that that company, that product makes it off the list entirely. Um but then the other thing is like once you do get it, I think there's this thing that I think people realize that like just because you got something off the shelf, I mean SAP is a great example, right? Like it is an off-the-shelf product. That requires an enormous amount of customization. Like it's it's really just a like a, a platform. Salesforce, Commerce Cloud, another example. Like if you are a brand and you need to customize your experience for the user because you are a brand and it's all about customization, think about that. Like, yes, it's providing that value, but remember that you have to do a lot of work on top of it. So just work that into your in into into your plans. You know, like and I, I think it's just, it's really just a matter of making sure that people understand that buying a product doesn't mean like set it and forget it. It almost never means that, especially for larger companies that won't like to customize. Now, if you get, if you go and like get a Shopify account, you know, and, and you just set up a, you know, it's great for that sort of thing. Like you, you can just set it up in no time. They have templates and you just use, you're in. You're in their zone, like everything you're doing is just part of the platform. And that's, uh, that's fantastic, but you just have to keep that in mind. The, the one thing that I often say about build versus buy is build the things that are unique to your organization that, that you need to differentiate yourself with. And the front end of the website, for example, or your applications, those are those are the areas where like a brand needs to show off like that's the clothes right or like it's the body of the car like the 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 engine like do your best you know like you know like find the product that can support the uh, all the functionality that you need in order to you know complete the journey for the user but it, you're not going to you're not going to be breaking any new ground when it comes. You're not going to be like an Amazon. It's just like actually, I'm just going to completely redo the way we you know we we do cloud infrastructure. Like that that's never going to happen. Uh, and therefore, just use the functionality that's available to you. So that's number one. And then the other big one is like I I have over the last two years I have become a big proponent of the model where you have open source software that is supported by a company. So like They are operating in a way where they are using open source software that is available to you if you want and has a community around it, but they are providing a ton of support. So they're they're providing potentially infrastructure. I I use InferCell a lot because they're an amazing company that provides a lot of expertise around a few products like Next.js. And they provide all this infrastructure for you. You don't have to think about it at all. They provide a CI/CD sort of like yeah, deployment structure that you you don't have to worry about at all. Like those sorts of things for a smaller company are invaluable and 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 in my opinion worth worth the cost. So so you just have to sort of ha- you know do some a, l- a little bit of math on that.
0: I think I think you last time we spoke you even talked about a company where you asked for something to be added to the roadmap and they told you absolutely not. Am I remembering that correctly?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, so, so we've worked with companies like authenticate, like big authentication companies, <laughs> Okta, and I guess they, they bought Auth0, but they're doing what you should do, which is saying like, look, these are the feature sets that we have. We'll tell you what we're, our, is on our roadmap, but you know, like you got to use what you have. We're not going to build something custom for you. And, and that's okay. You know, like that's how it, that's how it should be. Now, now you can make the decision in plain view of saying like, okay, but we really, let's say it's like. Two factor off. Let's say they didn't have that or whatever. It's like, well, it is part of our plan to have two factor off in six months. It's not on your roadmap, therefore, I'm going to have to move to someone else. You know, like that's not like okay. But can you please add it? Uh, you know, and then they, you know say okay, we'll promise. Like that's not going to. That's not a good plan. I
0: don't think. Yeah, I feel I. feel like one of the pitfalls that teams get into is you spend a lot of money on a platform and multiple platforms. And so then the strategy just kind of becomes, let's push as much into this thing until somebody says no, which they typically don't, or until something breaks or becomes like a big mess, giant mess, where it's like, if we just kind of put those guidelines and the foresight in place ahead of time, and, and come up with a framework for ourselves, for our specific organization that says, here's what's going to go into the platform and why and here's what's not going to and and why it's not going to then at the same time you're you're not only keeping things clean but i think you can get the engineering teams excited cuz now they know oh we're not only dealing with the platform here's all this cool stuff we're going to build and it's usually that stuff like you said that's much more meaningful to that organization. And, and it's the secret sauce, right? right.
1: Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you just have to establish that. You just have to make sure that's clear. Everyone comes in. I, one of the problems is that if you, if as a company, you keep changing your sort of methodology or don't define it very well, um, you, you hire in engineers with an idea of what they're going to be doing, and then it suddenly changes. And you have that breakdown in communication, happiness goes away, productivity goes away. So like establishing, really having a good understanding of your digital plan is really, really important.
0: I see a lot of passion in there for leading engineering teams. What is it about engineering teams that gets you excited?
1: For one thing, I I sort of fall into this naturally because I'm, you know, socially inept, you know, like that's kind of my thing. But also in my, from an engineering perspective, like I, I, I definitely think the same way as a lot of engineers do. We, we have like a lot of the same interests and I, we also, we tend to have a lot of passion for the same things. And so my, when I was, I've been in engineering since, I don't know, like 98, So, you know, like 25 years or so of experience. And I went into management about 12 years into my stint. And one of the reasons I did that was because I really wanted to create a better environment for engineers. and so like, it's like a personal passion of mine to create an environment where people can, engineers can really thrive. What, I, what I've said almost all the time is that it is really rare when you don't have an engineer who's like potential is super duper high. Like what they're specifically doing and how they're getting there is a question of like th- that particular person. But I think the vast majority of people, if they actually have a passion for this stuff and you give them the runway, they can do an amazing job in whatever path you set up for them. I think they can do an amazing job. It's, in fact, my job as a leader is to step back, just like clear the path and have them go. And I think that model of doing it is is, I think, is like obviously like th- the best thing that works for me, and I think it works for most you know amazing engineers as well. They just don't always have that opportunity.
0: That's great. Yeah. And then on the flip side, it's so frustrating when you see that passion, just unnecessarily getting squashed just due to inefficiency at the org or not prioritizing or, or clarifying things. Man, I think you just broke my brain. Cause I started around the same time and I, you, 25 years. I hadn't, I didn't realize it was that long now. <laughs> You're making me feel old right now. <laughs> I feel that every day. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have a young um, team. So Nice. Well, Kareem, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I always like to, to finish on uh, one fun question, which is over the years, what's the best advice you've ever received in life, work, wherever?
1: Actually, I was at a company called Millennial Media, and I had a manager. It was my first managing job. Uh, I was moving from from a like an IC type of role into more of a manager role, but I couldn't let go of the IC part of it. I still can't, but... One of the things that I always that always sort of pulls me back is what he said, which was, like, you're going to be a lot more effect- like you have a team of five at the time, right? There is no way that you're going to do five people's work by yourself, right? So, like, the best thing that you can possibly do is empower the people on your team, and then you can do five x. Like, at best, you can do two people's job. <laughs> you know, like, you're never going to be someone who's going to do five people's job, and if you are, then there's something wrong with the team. And so like, I've always taken that back just like, okay, yeah, like I'm, I'm very interested in this particular thing that we're doing. I think, you know, like yeah, all engineers are probably like this. They're so like, I can do this best. And then I realize, like, that does not scale. <laughs> like, that is not a good approach. Um, you know, pursue the things that you can, but keep in mind that lots of people, a team is makes all the difference. So I
0: try to remember that as
1: well as a leader
0: that's great especially because it appeals to that that engineering mind of logic and efficiency that just makes a lot of sense on that Green, thank you so much I, i loved it thanks for listening to evolving industry for more subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast platform and pretty please drop us a review we'd really appreciate it if you're watching or listening on youtube hit that subscribe button and smash the bell button for notifications if you know someone who's pushing the limits to evolve their business, reach out to the show at evolvingindustry@intevity.com. or reach out to me, George Zagosinski, on LinkedIn. I love speaking with people getting the hard work done. The business environment's always changing, and you're either keeping up or going extinct. We'll catch you next time, and until then, keep evolving.